Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's session, where again, I'm very lucky to have Graham. And Graham and I will be looking at the theme this uh, month of resilience quotient. This is sort of coping with adversity. So without further ado, let me hand over to Graham. Graham, what's this mean to you, resilience and coping with adversity? Wonderful subject, Jonathan. I'm really looking forward to this because you and I both are men who enjoy extreme challenges of sorts. Mm. And I think today we're going to talk about some of those and what we've learned in the process, right? Yeah. And these come in physical and mental challenges. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I think resilience is close to our hearts, isn't it? And not something that we think of as necessarily a negative. It's yeah. that journey of embracing problems and challenge. Right? Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's such an interesting topic. You know, on the one hand, it's really required to succeed in life. On the other hand, mm. you can over-index on it, and there are some consequences. Mm. Let's have a look well, at that. We've done uh, that, you and not, I. We've both we've over-indexed. over-indexed. <laughs> We're on a different index entirely. <laughs> That's right. We're, we're sort of driven by some inner demon or some critic on the shoulder going, you're not good enough. Fred, <laughs> you're not good enough. Jonathan, you're not good enough. Oh, uh, they're going to find you out. You're an imposter. They are. You're an imposter. That's yeah. that dream, isn't it? You're a loser. Nobody discovered. likes you. You're thick. Um, let's have a look at a couple of questions that we were asked yeah. from uh, from the audience. Uh, a fintech founder and an entrepreneur in Israel, where mm. I'm heading to shortly, uh, was asking me on resilience. What can be the impact on your health and well-being of overdoing resilience? So, Graham, what would you Boy, answer to him there? That's such a good question. We've done this, right? And I think we, we're victims, not victims, I'm sorry, that's the wrong word. We, we are, you know, we've experienced our own resilience, overdoing our resilience many, many times. Uh, there is a great author, I very much admire John Krakauer, who writes about, mm. um, he wrote the book Into the Wild, he wrote Into Thin Air, which was about the 1996 Everest disaster. Mm-hmm. Really well written, very much sort of investigative journalism style writing. And... I remember him talking in that, that he's a mountaineer himself. And it was the year that many people died on Mount Everest. And he said that from the mountain guides, the worst client to take up a mountain was an athlete because they had to paraphrase his words, resilience, but no agility. Meaning that they, if you think about an athlete, very, very good. And they dedicated their life to excelling at sticking to the plan quite excessively. And if you're an athlete, you have to do that. You have to sort of never give up and, you know, you have to kind of suck it up and feel the pain and, you know, no pain, no gain. But in sport, that wins your gold medals. But in life, that could be fatal. You know, that could be bankruptcy. It could be the end of a marriage. It could be, um, you know, all, all the kind of negative health effects, impact of not being agile. So I think resilience is really important, but you've got to have agility as well. And I know we talk about that. You've got to have one with the the other, you know, resilience without agility is like being a mule, you're stubborn, Uh, you know, it's the follow your dreams type, um, you know, sort of narrative that we all follow blindly, you know, stuck in one mode of doing things. And the result, you know, the flip side of that agility without resilience is like being a fly. It's like, you know, you're kind of all over the place, but never sticking at anything. So you've got to have both. You've got to have this sort of agility of being able to let go. I think it's, I don't know if it, you might know this better than me, Jonathan, whether it was Ray Dalio or um, I, and I know Jeff Bezos is attributed with saying it is that you've got to have strong opinions loosely held. Mm-hmm. You've got to be convicted about what you think, but you've got to be able to take on data and pivot and change. And so therefore, you know, the, the impact of this, I'm sure we're going to talk about this, the, the negative mental health impact, mm. financial impact, emotional impact of being resilient without agile is, is severe. You know, you talked about it last time, Jonathan, like being so intense and it's just stuck with me. You know, you've just been so intense. Mm. 
that's that's the resilience overdone, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I I, I think you just captured it so beautifully. And in a feedback uh, coaching session I was doing recently with somebody, uh, one of the psychometrics looks at the aspect of endurance, your ability mm. to stick at things, see things through. And he was on the 99th percentile, which means that he enjoys, this was about motivation, be enduring and sticking at things more than almost anybody else in the in the huge norm group in North America uh, of about 18,000 people taken uh, two years ago. And, and I go, this is great. You know, that you'll see projects through and he could describe how he how he'd seen projects through, which took three years and he stuck at it. Uh, and I said, what happens when you're wrong? He said, what do you mean? I'm not often wrong. And I said, well, can you think of the last time you were wrong? No, it's hard one, that. I said, what do you do? Do you admit you're wrong and apologize? No, just keep going. And I said, well, that has problems because mm. you will drive yourself into a situation where people in, in military terms or in mountain or mountains, people die. And I do remember it was very powerful into thin air and um, a, a number of other mountaineering stories mm. I read. I remember when I was at school, uh, Welbeck College in the army, uh, Ryan was one of the guys there. He went up Ben Nevis with a friend and they overdid things and didn't give up when they should have turned back. And they mm, slid, he exactly. poor chap slid off the edge of a, a precipice and died. He just, just all went down. Isaac's arrest didn't happen. And, and it was just so harrowing for 16 year old boys to lose a friend of theirs wow. on a mountain because they overdid it. They went too far. So I think the impact on your health and well-being, the question that the fintech founder is asking about uh, uh, overdoing resilience is that you will get run down. I've seen many uh, leaders I coach, they get to such a state that they've pushed themselves and they've not had holidays, they've not had breaks. They've worked, you know, um, you know, 18 hours um, mm. out of 24 regularly, weekends, all that kind of stuff. Oh, I'm so tough. I'm going for it. And, and, and they don't realize it's not a sprint. It's a mm. triathlon and you don't even know how long the transitions are going to be and how many times around the pool or across the lake or around the cycle track you're going to go before transition, change again and again and again. And and, and I've seen it, people's immune system get run down. They get, mm. you know, flus, they get COVID, they get COVID again and again. And, and you know, it's, it's life telling you you're overdoing it. Um, mm. So we can talk more about that. But the, the next question was for an entrepreneur in the UAE mm, uh, who I, I met while on my um, Hoffman uh, program. And he said, how do you develop greater levels of resilience? What's, what's your uh, on the positive side, Graham, because you, you've done some phenomenal endurance things. Mm. And how have you developed greater levels of physical endurance, uh, resilience and also mental resilience? Yeah, this is a really good question. So thanks for that. How do you develop greater levels of resilience? So what what actually is resilience? Is it like a strategy? Is it mindset? Is it a skill? I think we kind of need to understand that. Is it a personality trait? Is it a physical trait? Um, there's a great book. I mentioned it before. If you've missed the episodes that we talked about before recommending this book, I'll bring it up now. There's a great book called Rejection Proof by Jia Zhang, 100 Days of Rejection. It's all about mastering failure. Um, it's really about how you can become more resilient through putting yourself in a situation of controlled failure. Now, when I was a kid, I, I remember I used to mock my dad because he was a Marine, a Royal <laughs> Marine. And I used to, I know they didn't do it, but it's, you know, you see it on TV. They used to spin the rifles. The American Marines would do it for sure. You know, they had that sort of rifle handling where they spin the rifle. It's all kind of show. And it's like, what's the point of that? And, um, he said it was to, it was for handling, right? And he tried to explain it to me. And at the time as a kid, I wasn't interested. And I'm sure you probably have gone through a lot of this as well. He said that, you know, in combat, you're going to drop your rifle many times, right? Because, you know, it's, everything kicks off, you're panicking, et cetera, et cetera. But if you've constantly mastered that muscle memory of failure, like dropping a rifle, like constantly spinning it, your brain without thinking can, like grab that rifle and recovery becomes very easy. So it's like, how do you react to failure? And if you put yourselves in a situation of constant failure, which isn't fatal, spinning a rifle, the next time you drop that rifle out of your hands and, you know, in a combat situation, 
you ain't gonna like be scrabbling around in the dirt. You're gonna just naturally just put it back into position, right? And so one of the ways, one of the interesting ways of developing resilience is rejection therapy. It exists, you can Google this stuff, right? You know, for example, if you're scared of getting up on stage and talking, a great way of getting through that is developing resilience through podcasting. It's like, you know, you and I do this. And so you're kind of developing a resilience to being out in the public sphere, right? You're sort of embracing rejection, like you and I doing this, we're not going to die. You know, we're not going to see our share prices tank on the stock exchange because you said something or I said something, you know? So we're developing that, that sort of small steps in resilience every single day and mastering it just as you would a language, right? You know, every day, put yourself in a situation where you can speak to somebody in a different language and you don't die or fall into the hole in the ground as a result of it you just master that so i think the answer to your question entrepreneur in uae is you know small steps every day turn it into a skill of mastery mm-hmm. master it master it like embrace it like make it part of your personality that you do this thing and this guy jar jang who wrote rejection proof goes through this 100 days of rejection which is actually a very funny exercise which i recommend to read or watch the youtube series what about yourself yeah Jonathan, do, you, do you embrace those kind of controlled failures in a way well well very much and one of the things that i i took away on my hoffman process was that I've been very driven by high performance. You can see those who can watch the video, you have pictures of my father behind me, a fast jet pilot, you know, who's somewhat of a hero. And um, therefore he was on a plinth and I've been trying to achieve great things like he has, which has made me overcome some amazing challenges that Cypress Double Mountain Marathon, it, it was on day one and I visualized him there sitting on a cloud, having a chat with me going, come on, son, mm. and it's up to you. If you, you can walk if you want to, but you'll come third and no one will remember who you are. But if you start running again now with your teammates and get them going, following your example, you may win. Everybody mm. remember who won the Cyprus walkabout. And, uh, and so those things have been pushing me. And I think what I learned on the, 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 the process of reflecting on that, that that drive to perform at the highest level again and again, it's fine. It gave me great resilience. What I'm learning now is to be comfortable with imperfection and with failure mm. and seeing it as a teachable moment. Um, University of Michigan had a great professor who taught me about this idea of this is a teachable moment. What have you learned what are you going to do mm. act differently? So learning and action. Every time you fail, it's not failure. It's a teachable moment. Mm. And, and if you see this in the way you lead the people who work with you and for you, you won't destroy them and demoralize them and disillusion them. And you'll give them greater resilience. So, okay, what have you learned? Pick yourself up. What have you learned? What are you going to do? So you just take on. But you do need to reflect on the failures. Mm. And often many of the people who have the biggest problems never stop to ever consider they were wrong or learn from their failure. They go from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm, as Churchill once described it. Uh, Success, moving from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. Um, So you talked earlier, Graham, about... um, making it personal, the definition of resilience. Mm. And, mm. and in our, our work on inspiring leadership, how we uh, researched and defined it is as follows. This is your ability to successfully cope with disappointment, crisis, and even catastrophe. It's also your ability to recover from your setbacks and to learn from them. As a result mm. of this process, you often become wiser and more resilient than before. This is more than not being fragile or robust. Mm. This is about being anti-fragile there's a whole book about anti-fragile which is yeah very... I like that consequently your philosophy should be oms ooms obstacles make me stronger uh, mm. the stoics approach is helpful in handling adversity it's not the events that are a problem it's your thoughts about the events which are from the emperor marcus aurelius so, so what does that trigger for you graham oh, i love that i was wondering when the stoics were going to make an yeah, appearance in today's episode <laughs> it's all about the stoics isn't it it is about at the end of the day the stoics really underpin a lot of these conversations you know what i was um i was doing a bit of background reading on this jonathan 
a few things came out which I wanted to share with you because actually I was looking at it and guess who came up in my research? Who? The Stoics. The Stoics. There you go. You can't escape them. Now, uh, it's it sort of started with that inquiry. I was, I was interested in this idea of resilience and a, a line which I often hackneyed and it gets used a lot, but it comes from Mike Tyson is that everybody has a plan until they get oh, yeah. punched in the mouth, which I think is such a good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually, I mean, if you think about boxing, but it applies to entrepreneurship and it applies to business and life, you know, it's not really about your ability to throw a punch, but you know, how can you deal with it when things just go really south fast and they will. Mm. And you see that in combat, I'll bring it back to combat. We're coming back to the Stoics in a way. Um, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. I was reading some input and it was very, you know, it, the, it wasn't scientific, but they were trying to compare the combat value of a professional soldier over a conscript, you know, that, you know, and they would argue, for example, that one professional soldier was worth a hundred conscripts. Mm. I don't know if that was scientific, but you could imagine mm. that, you know, basically you've got a soldier who is resilient because they've been in combat. And then you've got a conscript who, who's probably a young kid, a teenager or a student. It doesn't want to be there. Right. Mm. And then I was looking at, I don't know if you, you know, the battle of Thermopylae. I know you're a mm -hmm. historical mm -hmm. student yourself, 480 BC, which gave birth to the myth of the 300 Spartans taking mm. on the 120,000 Persians. To what extent those numbers are true is, not has been argued a lot hmm. by historians but the point is is that at some point in history a small group of spartans took on a very large army of persians and they were outnumbered but the point was is the spartans were and this is the sort of stoic background as well spartans were resilient that was their nature you know the and this may be the overdoing part they took kids you know, out of school, well, you know, in those old days, before they even went into school, they put them into combat, you know, in combat training camps. They slept on stone floors with just like a rag for comfort. And they lived in Spartan upbringing. They had nothing. So, you know, as soon as that Spartan was a teenager, he could go into battle and fight many, many times, many fold his own number in the opposition because he could take the blows. He could take those Tyson punches to the mouth. And I think it's an extreme tale and very apocryphal, but the point has a general truth, which is, you know, resilience isn't a strategy, but it's about an attitude towards embracing hardship and not seeing that hardship as a failure, a problem, but as part of it, you know, you're thrown these hardships as a way to become a better person. And as they say, the way out is through. And I think there's a lot we can learn from combat. Maybe we overdo the analogy, but, you know, as a, a soldier yourself, I'd be very curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, it, it's very interesting. And of course, let's choose a topical one like Spare, the book by Harry, <laughs> uh, where he throws, oh, Jonathan. He, he throws his family under the bus, doesn't he? Yes. And, and And what's interesting is the banter on my WhatsApp group of all the army officers who were in my platoon and there's various ones um uh, which come up and 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 one is this guy in combat gear you know with a flak jacket looking really muscular you know strutting along and it's harry you know in his days in the army and mm. it goes an army officer beaten by a non-combat royal air force officer disgrace you know <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and this thing about what went what went on when he was taught this whole thing about resilience and service and uh and, mm. and now he's gone completely sort of the woke opposite and oh, i'm a victim and they beat me up but i'm making 120 million from the book signing in every country in the world and Life i don't i don't hard. want to have my privacy invaded but i'm happy to do a netflix series <laughs> um th this contradiction and so so i think resilience it's interesting in the military um that you talked about this combat soldiers yeah we we were taught to endure almost unbearable pain and suffering. I think of doing airborne training and climbing up a Bailey bridge and jumping from about 40 foot 
into a canal yelling airborne <laughs> as, I, as, I, as i landed in the water only to land on the roof of a car that someone had shunted in there no way about a oh. year before you know <laughs> some some stolen car and almost breaking my ankle but luckily not <laughs> and i thought this is a bit dangerous uh, and and carrying on when everything in your body just says stop and you go oh gotta keep going and i remember the the corporal instructor he was going Sir, you're calling me sir politely, but he was a he had no respect for me as a young captain. And he went, You're a complete loser. Just give up. Get just j- jack it in. <laughs> Get on the jack wagon. It's like the jack wagon. You just give it's up. It's for the losers. It's for the losers. And and you leave the course. Just go. You know, I'd go, no, thank you, Corporal. I'm gonna keep going. And he goes, Tell you what, Jenkins, uh, take your bergen off, give it to this officer. And I go, but Corporal, I've got my own Bergen. He said, yeah, I know, carry his Bergen because he's <laughs> he's not keeping up with the crowd and you are, so carry his Bergen. So I put my arms through and carry his Bergen. I can't even run at this stage. I am absolutely weighed down by two two very heavy army Bergens. And he's the, <laughs> Jenkins is running off. He's joined the group and there's me at the back. And this Corporal's just constantly going at me, psychologically running me down, gaslighting me, just telling me I'm a complete loser. And uh, he goes, just give up. I said, thank you, Corporal. I'm going to keep going. And eventually he got really irritated. Oh, for God's sake. Jenkins, come back. Take your Bergen. You know, carry on. But I was shattered. And, <laughs> and, 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 and this idea of resilience, you have to close down. You put almost put a mm, mask mm. on. Yeah. And, and you push through any kind of emotions, any feelings to just do it. But the problem is you become an automaton. Yeah. One of the things that that uh, I was discussing with a lady who's a behaviorist, and she's uh, very interesting, going to be on a future podcast. She deals with a lot of the ex-military and the veterans and people mm. who've been through 9-11 and, and, you know, school shootings in Texas and stuff like this. And she said the military are great in training people up to become this automaton that you know can mm. handle their rifle, dash down, crawl, observe sites, fire. You don't think about it. You just do it. So so you train that person up to be this machine and resilient in horrendous situations where people are dying all around you. But then when you finish your service, they don't deprogram you yeah. and prepare you to come into civilian life. So this is why we find far too many veterans around the world, but particularly if we picked America, the UK, mm. on the streets, there's a huge number of ex-veterans. Yeah because they've still got the mental problems of closing down all their feelings and emotions. Mm-hmm. Therefore, their relationships fall apart. They they look PTSD, for comfort. Yeah. They have PTSD. They look for comfort from alcohol or drugs mm. or some some way out. And even, you know, some people like me become workaholics and just work mm. too, too hard. So there is a, something we've really got to watch with that total focus on resilience it's a toxic resilience isn't it it's like mm. an old-fashioned resilience it's you know to the extreme like you mentioned in those scenarios like it works in a, an extreme environment but in many cases life isn't like that you know mm. you're not in a combat situation we can learn a lot from it but we have to take away the best part of that yeah you know, we have to kind of learn what is real resilience. And it is, it is that ability to, it, I think for it, the the poker face part is important to be able to compartmentalize your emotions and just be able to deal with stuff right in front of you. But I think, you know, the, the big part about resilience that probably is the most effective is the being able to chunk down the task. You know, when you're facing really tough Um, a situation and that may be a business like if you're a startup founder Mm. you know it may be a personal situation it may be a financial situation i think that you know it there's a key lesson learned in resilience here is that is there is actually strategies for it when i did the ironman triathlon for example yeah tell tell us about that i mean ironman just for those listening who don't know how far is the swim the run and the bike what are we talking about I'll do it in kilometers. So it's 3.8 K open water swim. So it's in the sea. So 4,000 meters. What is that? Two and a mm, half miles. That's, that's far. That's a long way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that in the sea alone is a killer. That's you know, an hour and something. Mm. And then you're out and you're doing 180 K bike, which is six hours. 180 kilometers. Yeah. On the bike. And you've got to take all your food with you as well. So you've got to think about that. And you've already done the swim. So you're out on the 
you know, on the bike. And so, and then you finish off with a marathon. Oh, 26. And, no, uh, yeah, what's that? 42K. Kilometer? 42K. 42K. Yeah. So it, it's, it's like in its entirety, it's quite mind boggling unless you're like in the scene and it becomes a lot more sort of manageable, but it's, it's let's say it's 12 hours mm. for most people. And if you sort of break it down, I think, you know, the resilience part is there's like your corporal there's many many times when you've got this voice that says give up give up give up just sit down okay well maybe this year's not your year maybe like blah, 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 blah. maybe like you know all, all these kind of excuses and the way that i got through it was was two things firstly i broke down every single part of it so with the bike you know the six hours i broke down every single hour and where i wanted to be at that point you know i wanted to be here and this distance there here and this distance. so you know and I think I learned this from mountaineering and Joe Simpson, who did um, Touching the Void, the book mm. about those two mountaineers that went up in South America. And he said that, you know, when he came down the mountain and he was struggling for his survival, he just said, get to that next rock, get to that. And once you've done that rock, get to the next rock. And for me, it was like that, you know, even when I got to the point, I didn't think there was a marathon to run after, you know, eight hours of effort. When I got there, I think about that when you get there. So when I got off the bike to do the marathon, I didn't think of it as 42K, which itself is a, you know, it's <laughs> a marathon. <laughs> but I thought, actually, just break this down. I broke it down into 120K and then two 10Ks and then a 2K. <laughs> so I said, like, I'll do the 20K and then I'll think about the 10K. And I did the 10K. I've just got one more 10K. And when I did the 10K, it's like, it's only 2K to the home shoot now. So that's that chunking. And a lot of survivalists talk about chunking. Because what it allows you to do is it allows you just to focus on the task at hand, not to get overwhelmed by the bigger challenge. And then you also have that sort of psychological positive reinforcement when you complete each task as well. So there is a skill side to resilience, which I think mm. I've learned through endurance sport, but there are many analogies elsewhere as well. And you can certainly see it in business. If you're going through a hard patch, you'll just get to this next point and then, you know, then take a call on what you're going to do next. Mm, mm. Gosh, I, I really, firstly, I really respect uh, anybody who's done the Ironman. You've done a, a few things. I'll hear about a few more in a minute. But to do that kind of distance and swimming in the sea anyway is, oh. is tough. Um, but I, I, I do think, again, back to the, uh, the airborne selection to get my parachute wings and my sort of maroon berry, that... Um, the instructor, we'd just done a, a 10 mile uh, march, uh, uh, running, walking fast, running, walking fast with our heavy Bergens, our helmets and our weapons, uh, uh, speed marching and running. And and as we came into the gate, we had the finish ahead of us. We, we knew it was there. Yeah. But in war, situations never kind of work out. I mean, look at Ukraine and Russia. You know, the Russians mm -hmm. thought they're going to be in Kiev uh, and they had their ceremonial uniforms hanging up inside their tanks ready to do a, a ceremonial parade with Putin the next day. Never kind of worked out like that. Life is never like that. The, the enemy don't go, oh, do you know what? You're tired. You know, I, I tell you what, we won't, attack. we won't attack today. Have a break. Let us know when you're rested mm. and we'll come back. Uh, and, and it's the same in business. The, the, the rival businesses don't go, oh, yeah, yeah, you're having a bit of a bad time. You know, <laughs> cash flow is a problem. Let me lend you some money. You know, they don't. And, and, and so I learned this lesson very quickly on the airborne training because we came in the end of the 10 miler and I just prepared myself for getting to the end. We're then going to have a hot shower and then we we're going to do something different in the afternoon. And we get to within a hundred meters of the front gate to finish and we could see the parade ground where you know, we'd be stood down and go and have a showers. And the instructor goes, right, turn around. We're going to go back and do it again. No. Like, no. No. And, and, and sure enough, we turned around and off we went. Well, of the 80 of us on the selection, by that, at that stage, you know, 10 dropped out. They got on the jack wagon. They went, That's a, yeah. I, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I, I couldn't mentally prepare for that. Yeah, yeah. They just got to dig deep, haven't they? Got to dig That's deep. And, yeah. and, and, and luckily, I found the energy. I was almost devastated, but I just carried on. And actually, yeah. he only took us a mile. And then he yeah. said, okay, that's good enough. Let's go back in. But yeah. but he did the same again, like two days later, we were coming up a hill called Heartbreak Hill. We got to the top of it and he goes, you hungry lads. You think you have nice, you know, nice breakfast. You know, we haven't had breakfast yet. We go, yes, yeah, stuff. 
And over the crest of the hill were chefs with white aprons and hats, bacon, beans, sausages, fried eggs. And we came towards the tables and the idiot, the psychopath, kicked the tables over, beans and food everywhere. Said, <laughs> You're not going to have any of that. The enemy are about to attack. Keep going. And I thought, oh, oh boy. And of course, men and food when they're hungry and tired. But his point was, it's sometimes in life, it's real. you've got to yeah. have that resilience. Um, wow. And, and I want to just turn the question to you now. What about Amazing. the unfairly named snowflake generation? Would oh. they would they keep going past the spilt beans? Or would they cry? <laughs> Let's put them to the test, shall we? Yeah. Let's get the snow. I, I think it's rather unfair yeah. to name them. Of course, yeah. I mean, the media plays a lot to do with. I mean, look, the, this gener these generations haven't grown up with the adversity that previous generations have faced. It's not particularly our generation. I think we were probably lucky but our parents' generation and their parents' generation mm. had adversity. We at most knew recession, but not like their, you know, the grandfather, the grandparents' generation in maybe the thirties. Mm. So, um, you know, it's adversity creates resilience. It's, it creates that hardened ability to deal with things. Right. And mm. if you haven't had that, you wouldn't want your children to suffer just so they could learn that lesson, right? Okay. You wouldn't want to enforce poverty on them such that they understood the value of money and hard work. Nobody wants that. The reason that you work to become successful mm. is such that your children don't have to face poverty. So to call children a snowflake really, I think is sort of the product of our generation's success, if you like. That's testament to us. You know, we didn't, throw it all away such that they grew up in recession and poverty such that they could be hardened to this stuff. Right. So we, let's just, that's us. That's what we've done for them. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a little well, bit unfair, but I think there is sort of, a, go on. do you want to, do you want to, I was going to say, I just think there's, there's definitely things we can do to help them become resilient, which is like, you know, not necessarily enforce poverty, but, maybe help them with attachment that's the agility part like mm, you know mm. attachment to things and materialism which creates that kind of fragility right yeah that this yeah. is my expectations of what i should have in my life right and i think you and i probably do a good job or we try each day to make do a better job of helping our children even in their adult life realize that right mm, you know mm. privilege yeah, and that's a very interesting one. It's, it's about mindset and mental attitude to something. So that um, kind parents want to give positive love, unconditional love, support a child. I mean, you know, uh, we're looking after uh, our son and his wife and a two-year-old and a one-year-old for the next six months while they're moving home. Um, and Lee, my wife, was doing all she could to prepare um our, our daughter-in-law for a job interview uh, she went to one of the one of the schools that she's gone she's waiting to hear what the result is so that she wants to be a special needs assistant and, and help out so she can get some money in to look after the children and stuff and help a uh, her husband who's a police officer and the money doesn't go very far these days uh, even for a, a good old police officer doing uh, a job to keep the country safe but the reason i mention that is that we try and help our children to have a good start, to launch them, to give them the best. But at times, our good intentions can backfire mm. because we, we, we don't have boundaries and we, we try and save them from themselves and from hardship and we protect them and put them in cotton. Mm, mm. We don't want them to have bad life experiences. But you know what? Bad shit's going to happen to them. Mm. And are, are you doing them a favour by trying to protect them from everything i don't think so but at the same time you don't want to drop them right in it so it, it's a it, this idea of attachment non-attachment non-judgment mm. but at the same time a mental attitude a resilient attitude to cope with setbacks and adversity along the lines of okay it hasn't worked out as you hope you didn't get the job mm. what have you learned what are you going to do differently how are you going to pick yourself up let's let's learn from this but let's not have a pity party, poor mm. you, victim, because because making someone the victim and you the rescuer creates a problem in itself. Mm. 
but go, look, I, I see you having agency, this ability to solve your own problems. Mm-hmm. What, you know, between the stimulus and response as, as um, man's search for meaning, Viktor Frankl, between stimulus yeah. and response, you have choice. And I think that's the key to people being resilient mentally and physically. You are at choice. It's no one else. Mm. You can choose. The only thing you can control is your thoughts and your own actions. Not mine, not anybody else. How are you going to think about this? And what are you going to do now? So I don't know what your thoughts are. And then we can have no, I agree. talk about, yeah, I, I, about leaders, different leaders we've known. Oh, yeah, different leaders we've known. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because, you know, leadership really quarter that is resilience isn't it because it's not a popularity contest is it being a leader well especially a good leader mm-hmm. not necessarily the leaders we want but the leaders we get and we need sometimes are the mm-hmm. ones that are willing to you know follow the path of most resistance mm-hmm. and uh, therefore they need a lot of resilience you know a good leader should be able to absorb being unpopular yeah for a greater good so are we going to give the rundown to the list that we have? Yeah, and, yeah. Are we? Do so, you want to go so, there? Yeah. So, um, Graham, you, yours were Robert F. Kennedy, uh, mm. Martin Luther King, Greta Thunberg, mm. uh, Honda, Rosa Parks, Bill Gates, mm. Tim Cook, Steve Jobs, those kind of people. What, what's your thoughts? Yeah. Well, the obvious one that we've mentioned before is Ernest Shackleton, isn't it? It's a very mm. sort of boys, mm. <laughs> boys' own type story, isn't it, about resilience? But, gosh, what, what a story. Mm. And uh, they made that alive, some of them. Not all of them. The dogs certainly didn't. Mm. But that was just a, a harrowing story, isn't it? It's just extreme resilience. Maybe that's sort of extreme and unnecessarily you know, extreme. But that's a great lesson. I don't know. I don't know to what extent it's a lesson in leadership. Because maybe they were just surviving. Well, I, I don't know. You, you've looked at it. I've looked yeah, at it. I've read the stories. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. If it, is it leadership or they're just surviving? I that's a that's a good challenge actually but the, the the book i read was you know his ship was called endurance and the book i read was endurance and and i do think he led them well and he prepared them hmm. long before they hit hardship for what are we going to do if things don't kind of work out and 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 the choice of people who were resilient and who were team players because the Coping with resilience and adversity is not mm. a solo game. I know you and I have been solo players in in our extreme uh, activities we've done, mountain marathons and Ironmans. But it's actually, a, there's almost a mental uh, group of supporters with you in your mind yeah. of people who, uh, you know, gave you uh role models like you know my father in my case my mother was mm. uh, really strong coping at the age of 33 being widowed uh and her hopes and aspirations dashed but having three young boys nine seven and and two and a half and, mm. and she showed great resilience and and i think this uh preparing yourself for you'll have some highs and you'll have some lows and and as rudyard kipling said in his poem if you treat those two imposters just the same, the successes mm-hmm. and the failures. And, nice. and I think to not have this expectation that life's got to be fair, because mm. life isn't fair. And, and if it, things don't work out, just like shit happens, get over it. What are you going to do now? But I, mm. I, I think it is important that you're in touch with your feelings and your emotions. So you don't become a hard ass bastard who others can't live with, you know, your partners and your children. I've come across many people who's suffered because their father often, mother sometimes, was so hard and so resilient. They had no ability to empathize or give love. They cope with negative love. And that's a problem, uh, which spills out. That's half of the story, isn't it? That's taking, like, you need resilience and agility. That's resilience without agility. Yes. Those people, it's like a coping mechanism. Yeah. They develop this sort of, they anneal themselves to problems, which is create this armor, which you need mm. to reflect, deflect, but you need this agility to be able to deal with it. And at the human level, that's, that's emotion, isn't it? To be able to emotionally read what's necessary. And those people that just become resilience without agility, you and I have done that. And we're surrounded by role models of people who do that, did that and are on a plinth 
like you say, of people who are seen as masculine role models. Mm. And they are resilient without agility. So there's a lot of leaders, I'd say, that are kind of cast in that light. And we're seeing it. So that's a great example of a tough man. Yes. And yeah, and we're, we're kind of learning the other half of it now, aren't we? Correct, correct. And, and I think um, when we look at, let's say, Queen Elizabeth II, the late Queen Elizabeth II, mm. she, I think, to me, coped with a lot of adversity. Uh, she was in her young, early 20s when she became the Queen. Her father, uh, father died of a long illness with lung cancer and stuff like that, which he was taken before his time. Uh, and she had many setbacks and things. You could say she lived a life of privilege. I think she did. But at the same time, things didn't kind of work out. Her Annus mm. Horribilis, as she described it, things didn't kind of work Sorry, out as yeah. she had hoped. And three of her children getting divorced and stuff like that. And it was all in the public uh, eye. Um, and, and I think how people cope with setbacks and disappointments. So in General Lord Danner, who was episode 200, was a great role model to me of someone who coped with uh adversity setbacks mm. um he was you know his sergeant and his radio operator were shot either side of him from behind by the ira while he was engaging with the ira from the front from behind the vehicle um then on his way home from one of the exercises a few years later exhausted he fell asleep and almost went into one of those old tank ditches which were about 10 foot deep and about five foot wide wow. to stop a soviet tank uh, and luckily when he drove off the motorway asleep he just happened to catch a small two meter piece of the bridge where there was a farmer's bridge and he just happened to drive off and woke it awoke in a field and no thought, way yeah i mean if it been two seconds earlier two seconds later wow. he'd be dead he wouldn't be with us now crazy um and then he had a stroke um as a quite a young man working for my old boss field marshal lynch as his adjutant collapsed in while washing his hands in the in the gents' toilets, while the rest of them were on parade, they go, "Where's the adjutant?" And they were, "Don't know where is it." They went back, looked in his office, couldn't find it. Someone called out, no no sound. They went into the into the gents, and there he was sprawled out. He'd had a stroke, and oh uh, could have died, but actually lived. But even to this day, he still one side of his body goes at times when he's under stress, uh, has a problem. So. That's just a few examples of things that he's coped with, as well as becoming head of the army and stuff like that. And uh, I, I just find, but he has a human side to him as well. Mm, mm. And, and and that's what I think good, resilient leaders are in adversity. They have humanity, humility, and a nice bit of humor, the three hums, as my friend Roger Steer would call them. But but I think that's important. You don't want someone yeah. who's just a a machine that no one can really relate to, an automaton. You know, I mean, uh, one of the books that uh, we're going to mention, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Master oh, I was just mind. thinking about him as you Master were talking. Master Your Mind and Defied the Odds by David, David Goggins. Goggins. I mean, two man. times he did SEAL training, Hell Week. Uh, he was running along with sort of fishies running down the inside of his legs and, and blood everywhere and kept running on. I mean, that that's extreme. And there's yeah. almost like a, uh, you think, what's wrong? You know, why why are people doing that? You know, that's that's really way... He's almost like on the spectrum, I think, with that. I, I, I think with that level of it. It's not kind of, you, you can't, that's that's way out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing what he, he he's done. Yeah. And his... his you know, the kind of things that you and I think are a, a real endurance challenge for him are just, you know, it's like a, a park run, right? Yeah, I, I just, I mean, phenomenal endurance, but almost to an extreme. Yeah. Um, and, and then what about inspiring organisations, Graham? What what have you thought about with inspiring organisations? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess we've got to look at organisations that have evolved and have reinvented themselves. Um, not that I'm a massive fan of them, but I've got to respect um, Satya Nadella, who's the CEO of Microsoft, and what they've done. You know, that Microsoft should have disappeared many years ago, but they've mm. kind of reinvented themselves, been resilient. So I think that, you know, on the business side, props to them, still around, still going. And like, you know, if you look at the shareholder returns, better than ever. Mm you know, in the face of people like Apple and Google competition and so on, right? So, I mean, they're doing something right. And Sachin Adela is resilient. He is emotionally intelligent, um, you know, very different from the previous generation of leaders like Steve Ballmer, 
So I think that's that's an interesting one to kind of dig into because yeah, it's stay, not stay, the most exciting as, as stay, an organization. Stay, stay with Microsoft because it was interesting in that part, that time of Steve Barmer. Um, a few of the fintechs I've come across recently, quite a number of the talented ones had been in Microsoft and gone on yeah. to do their own startups. But they said it went toxic during the time of Steve Barmer. Yeah. And, and it became a place they didn't want to be in anymore. So so there was that push to achieve and achieve and goals and stuff. But at what cost? As someone once said to me with resilience, you could probably achieve pretty much anything you set your heart on if you're, one, prepared, the pre- prepared to pay the price and, two, mm. live with the consequences. But you've yeah. got to ask yourself, is the price and are the consequences worth it? What do you think? <laughs> Well, that's it. I mean, we talk about this, going way back to the original question from your uh, listener who was talking about overdoing resilience. And this is interesting, isn't it? Because it really, to just be resilient without understanding the cost of being resilient is actually a bit of a cop-out, I Mm. think. Mm. It's like an easy way out. It's an easy, all you're doing is just effectively you're closing down everything. Yeah. So it's not an effective solution. Like you could think, I give you examples of, I can list hundreds of people I've known as startup entrepreneurs who've started a business. Oh, follow your passion. So they started a business, they've launched a business, they've gone for it and they've ever ended up just failing. Like they've tried everything. They, you know, the money didn't make enough money, couldn't make it work, run out of cash, blah, blah, blah. Such a common startup story, right? You know, we only hear about the survivors, obviously. But that's a good example of people who just weren't agile enough. You know, they, they didn't listen. They didn't take in advice. They didn't understand the cost of doing this. I'm not saying don't be a startup entrepreneur. I am. And I absolutely love it as a, as a, a lifestyle and would recommend it to the right person. But, you know, it's the right person. And that's the point is not everybody can do it. Not everybody can make it work. And just following your passion is not enough. Mm. You know, you've got to be able to pivot. You've got to be able to like constantly read the market data, listen to what people want and be able to change on that, which is the emotional intelligence, the agility, right? And so that's it. If you just go at it, I mean, we hear so many stories of people who just go at it and they get lucky and they get successful like Facebook or Google. But these are, this is survivor bias. We don't hear about the hundreds of thousands of people who did exactly the same and followed their dreams and followed their passions and got nowhere and ran out of money mm-hmm. and because they weren't agile. Yeah, so I, I, I think that's a, a really interesting point you make about the survivor bias and the books that are written by the people who did make it just like history is written by the people who win. Yeah, the victor. The, the, one, the one who got defeated. No one hears from them. Right. And, and or rarely do you hear from them. And I think you raise a really good point about the danger of closing down everything for this, uh, this single-minded obsession. But there are consequences to it. I, hmm. But there... It, in that there are some there's some grains of success. Like I just really enjoyed listening to an audio book written, I think it might've been recommended by you, Graham. I can't remember, called Essentialism. Okay, uh, Greg McKeon, yeah. Yeah, by, by Doug McKeon. And um, it, it was really interesting to me, this idea of being focused mm. on what you are good at. So so as you say, people follow your passion, that kind of thing. But, but find something that you are good at that you have a talent for, that the market needs and that they'll pay for. That that icky guy kind of four elements of it, which you being over uh, in yeah. Singapore would, would be a big fan of. And, and I do like this. But with that, you have to say no to a lot of things in order to say yeah. yes to what really matters and to admit that you're wrong. That's and it. like going down, going down a ravine where there's no way out um and being pig-headed about it, it mm. it's like you know you've got to you've got to learn when you're wrong and accept mm. that that you've made a mistake quickly own up to it and do something about it because people sometimes go so far down it there's just no way out um that's, uh, that's climbing the mountain jonathan that's why athletes die going up everest is because they're 100 meters away from you know twenty-seven thousand. Sorry, I do it. I'm switching my metrics here. So yeah. twenty-seven thousand feet, seven hundred feet, or whatever it is, and a hundred off the top, and they refuse to 
go back down, but a guide will tell them to go down. They'll yeah. say, look, you know, you can do this next year. But those people who are so pig headed, like the athletic mindset that they've been trained with all life, you know, maybe even the military mindset as well. You know, you can, you can get through this. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they probably got a little bit more ability to read the situation. Well, if it, you, no, sorry, you go. I was just saying, if you, if you've grown up being trained just to do one thing and stick at it and never give up, you're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you, you raise an interesting point. There's a, an amazing mountain guide called Isabel Santois. And mm. in Lee's book, Inspiring Women Leaders, she interviewed Isabel. Uh, she was like one of three women among a whole group of uh, worldwide mountain guides who were all blokes. And uh, I mean, her Bergen was bigger than her. She was a tiny little lady, but really determined. And, you know, all these tests they had to do to become qualified. Eventually, you know, on third attempt, she got in. And um, yeah, it was exactly a case in point. She was on a, one of the famous mountains with her paying guide and they mm. were about an hour from the summit. And she said, the weather's turning. It's going to get really bad. I've been following the forecast. We must turn back. He said, but this is my third attempt and I'm paying you to take me to the summit. She said, no, you're paying me to keep you alive. And if we can get to the summit and back, fine. I am not going to kill you and myself in the process of your obsession, what they call goal obsession. This, yeah. this, this resilience obsession about, you know, goal at, at all costs, shit or bust. And she said, we're turning back. So they turned back and they went down and they met another uh, group coming up without a guide. I don't quite know why they had no guide. And they said, we're going for the summit. She said, you must turn back. I'm stopping you now. You must turn back. The weather's turning. If you carry on, you will die. No, no, we're going on. And they and, and she was almost fighting with them, but they, they struggled past her and pushed on. They died because mm. they were so goal obsessed. That was the time they should have turned round, you know, like an Everest. People forget. It's yeah. only half the journey getting to the summit. The other yeah. half is coming back down again. And, and people think, when I'm at the summit, I've done it. I've got my goal. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're halfway there. That's tough, though, it's, yeah. if you've been trained to do and think like that. Yeah. I, was th I mean, I love all these mountaineering stories. And there's one thing I wanted to share with the listeners about resilience and i want to share this with you as well jonathan it's like i was looking at where the word came from because i'm a bit of an etymo etymological geek and uh interestingly like if you break down the word resilience it like re obviously to do again and it, the last part salire is latin it means to jump out and or to jump back or and it's why we say in english salient points it's like a jumping out point you know what ah. sort of jump spikes right mm. so the, the word resilience means to kind of jump back bounce back right and it's interesting that whilst it's been around for a long time it's never really been used in scholarly literature except the earliest one that i could find and I'd, like, I'd be interested to hear your listeners on this is that the earliest record i could find of it was 200 years ago by an author called Treadgold, very obscure. And he was talking about resilience in the property of timber wood. Wow. And he was explaining why some types of wood were really good. You know, they could bear a load, they could accommodate flexibility. You know, what, you know, bamboo, very resilient, right? Flexible, great for building, great for scaffolding, right? And I thought about the idea of wood, because you, the reason why I brought this up is because you were talking about that sort of, you know, automaton. Mm. Like you can build a house out of concrete or metal right? But it's very inhuman. You know, concrete and metal are strong, but wood is not only beautiful and soft, it's a perfect building material. Yeah, I know it rots and you have to change it and it can you know, get eaten by termites and stuff, but it's strong, adaptive and flexible. Mm. And it has all those kind of human qualities, you know, wood, like a wood table versus a metal table, you know, it's mm. like I can see like even in your room, if you see the video, folks, Look at all the wood behind Jonathan. It's very human. You, mm. you want to be there. You know, if that was all metal paneling, it would feel industrial and cold, mm. right? And you can think about the heat properties of wood versus metal as well. So, and I think that, like, that idea of being like wood is, is wood grows, wood evolves. You know, mm. wood's not perfect, but it's fantastic. Even in this day and age of building houses, we build a lot of the interiors and the structure out of wood, mm. right? Mm. And, you know, you know, thousands of years we've been using it as, as material to build because of that flexibility and that dynamic nature of wood. Mm. And I'm thinking about that, you know, it is the perfect 
you know, resilient material, you know, because a tree can survive a storm, you know, and it's built for it. I, I love that. And it, it also is making the connection with nature and how mm. things flow in nature. And uh, there are days when there's storms and there's days when there's peace and calm and quiet and sunshine. And, and it's a bit like that with us mentally and physically with our resilience mm. to adversity. If we faced adversity every day, all our lives, it would break us. Yeah. And we do need these downtime. This is why, you know, I have my power nap before I come on this call round about midday, 30 minutes power nap. It's great because the fact we've now got our grandchildren living with us, we were up at 3.30 till 4.30 and then working again at six and then, you know, up at seven. Um, and, and it would tend to uh, affect your ability to perform. Mm. And so I think the thing about your Ironman training and, and my mount, double mountain marathon, the Cypress double mountain marathon, my airborne training, is you trained for it, but you must build in recovery and rest, just like any athlete. Yeah. You know, they're now into zone two training. You know, when I'm on my rower once a week, I do 55 minutes of uh, 50 to 55 minutes of rowing at a zone two of my heart, which is not too hard but it's 10 kilometers and just steady training so that then you can push hard. But if, if athletes train at fulls, full on all the time, they will break themselves. Mm. They will injure themselves. And, and this is the same in business that, that particularly those coping with the pandemic, um, people thought, oh, well, I'll push myself really hard for six months. We'll be fine. Yeah. But it lasted two years, maybe in some ways, two and a half years. And it was a bit like our tours, our back-to-back -back tours with the army. You did six months on operations. Then you came back for six months and you had an easier time to train up, recover some injuries. People could get help at Headley Court if they were, if they'd had any shrapnel injuries or whatever it might be. And it might take them some years to get back in or a new life out of the army, whatever it might be. But you couldn't carry on hmm. sprinting all the time when, when it's actually an Ironman with transitions. Yeah, that's so, it. That's a bit but, of wisdom, though, isn't it? Marathon, not sprint. Yeah, life. yeah, yeah. I, I, and, I, and I take it even further to the triathlon, because I, I like the triathlon bit, because it's you've got the first bit, which is your swim. Yeah. Then you have a transition, and life is full of transitions, and, and you don't know quite when you're going to come out of how, how many laps or how far it is. You're not quite sure in life when it's going to be, right, transition now, Graham. Oh, okay, yeah. right. And, and you're trying to get transition and, and adjust to, to something different, you know, moving yeah. from from somewhere to live in Singapore or whatever it might be. And then transition again. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. And then and then, of course, you go around the site. You think, I'm finish line. And you go, no, no, back. Do another mile. <laughs> you got a marathon to do, guys. <laughs> yeah, come on. Do it again. <laughs> oh, I'm giving up. I'm getting the jack wagon. I want that with the guy, the chef, the baked beans, the bacon, yeah, so, and all no, there. And then you said, just as you hit the finishing shoot, you're like, I'm trying to no, eat the beans off out. the floor. <laughs> So let's have a look before we uh, we wrap up with uh, oh, some of brutal. our some of our books and what um, uh, what we recommend to people if they love listening to audio books or reading books. Uh, here's a few, and and mm. Graham, you know, if you can uh, just make any comments on any of them that you come across. Discipline is destiny. The power of self control by Ryan Holiday. I enjoyed that yeah. one. The, the Stoics. Stoics. Yeah. Uh, the Resilience Project. Really nice guy called Hugh Van Koylenberg who. Uh, did hmm. say he was going to come on the podcast, but then he's so popular and so busy now. He said, look, I've said no to all podcasts, which is a great shame because I love his book. Well, you did say in this podcast, say no. Yeah. So he is actually living. He's it. allowed to. He's allowed to. I got, I got, I was a bit disappointed, but then again, I thought, well, actually good on you. I, I respect you for doing that. His book uh, is called Finding Happiness Through Gratitude, Empathy and Mindfulness. And well, it's I'll a great a resilience project. The resilience project by Hugh right. Van Koylenberg, C U Y L E N B R G. Nice. Um, okay. One of the other guests I had on the um, the program, um, Dan Jarvis, MP, MBE. Uh, mm. Dan wrote a book called Long Way Home: Love, Death, and Everything in Between. Uh, mm. With his time in uh, the Paris and Special Forces, and and then becoming a, a Labour member of Parliament. Fascinating book. That's right. He's a nice guy. Oh, yeah. so, so nice. And, and uh, you know, I'd be happy if, if he was one of our ruling members of parliament. 
Uh, he's a real but, Yorkshire lad, isn't he? I I'm not quite sure where he's from. Yeah, I couldn't remember where he's from, but yeah. Uh, then one that you and I have talked about, Nimsdai Purja, Beyond Possible. Ah, yes. The man of the mindset who summited K2 in the winter. He, uh, he, those guys are legends. I follow oh. him on Instagram. They are, that the whole story about them going up K2. Yeah. You know, when when they were hung over, I think, as yeah. well, which is He'd just been incredible. Partying. No, no, just. Well, what uh, inspiring story. Watch the Netflix documentary as well. It's yes. I incredible. That. Yeah. yeah. Nims, Nimsdai Purja, M-I-M-S-D-A-I. Yeah. And uh, just awesome resilience. And then we yeah. talked about endurance. Shackleton's incredible journey by Alfred Lansing, uh, a guy who's a real favourite of mine, William Admiral William H. McRaven. And yes. he, he does that little clip on YouTube, which is probably one of the most yeah, popular ones. First, is. make your bed. And yeah. one, of, one of his books is called Sea Stories, My Life in, and Special Operations. Uh, and and then uh, we talked about David Goggins. Can't hurt me. Um, I've got a, I've got the book. I bought the book for my son. The now first make your bed book, which is like yeah. a handbook. It's like yeah. I don't know. It's only about fifty pages long. I think. Yeah, no, it's it's really great. Such such good. David book. Goggins. Yeah. Yeah. Blimey. So so um, before we we wrap up, Graham, and I just mentioned next month. Any, anything else that you'd like to add about books or? Resilience no, no, I think those are great recommendations. I I have made a note of some of those, and I will check them out and mm. make some orders on Amazon. I'll read the the blurbs and see what works for me. But I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think that you know that the, these conversations are really revealing for us. We've kind of had a set of beliefs, haven't we, that we grew up with that kind of worked for us. But at some point in our life, we've had a reckoning, haven't we? Yeah, and a realization. It's kind of that is part of it in the resilience part because resilience was core to that, wasn't it? That sort of whole very toxic man up attitude mm. towards things. It, resilience with that agility. And you, you and I have both been in environments which have rewarded it up to a point, entrepreneurship to an extent, military, and then, you know, even in our own endeavors in endurance sports and so on. So we've kind of like applied this, but we've had to kind of evolve and like challenge our own ways of thinking. So hopefully for the listeners as well, you know, some of the things we brought up today may have people thinking. We'd love to hear feedback as well. You know, what yeah. people have experienced in resilience and the questions that they may have about it, and even recommendations about book. We're always books. We're always open to that, aren't we? Yeah. No. Please get in in touch. You know, JonathanPerks.com, my website, and GrahamsPickle.com. Um, because uh, any questions you might want to ask for next month, which we're doing BQ brand quotient, your brand image impact and impact. Uh, reputation what people say about you when you're not in the room mm. which would be very interesting um so graham thank you my appreciation of you my friend um you've just achieved some phenomenal things some physical endurance and personal endurance as an entrepreneur and as a podcast agency host um and one of the top podcasters i think in the world so thank you that's my appreciation of you i, I find you inspiring and uh, uplifting well, thank you very much, Jonathan. So what can I add to what I've already said about you in the previous episodes in terms of appreciation? But it's just the fact you've created this thing, this podcast and all the, the amazing people that you've had. And I'm very privileged to be amongst them and your guests. You know, just going back and having a look at some of the stories that they've told, like you've shared a few today as well. I just really appreciate that, that you've just kind of given a voice to these people. And it's not just interviews as well it's, it's core to your story as well and there's that real sort of vulnerability in what you've shared you know you're not this sort of hardened military man yeah you have that part to you but that's just half the story there's this sort of you know this awakening as well and i think the podcast and the conversations that you have are really an extension of that and i really do appreciate that because to me that's a really good use of all of this you know it's not just like let's have some conversations it's really about you know, uh, you're really passionate about this subject because it's a, a deep curiosity of your own. And so everybody that you bring on, you're kind of like exploring different rabbit holes in that subject. And it's just been so fascinating to watch your journey, Jonathan, on this podcast and, and your newsletter as well. I did reread your newsletter as well today. So, you know, I do recommend people to sign up for that because you do give away extra stuff on that as well. So yeah, yeah. all of the above, 
Thank you. Well, Graham, you're you're a good friend and a and a, a good muse and and someone I can bounce ideas from. And if people do want to get the newsletter, which gives you details of the podcast guests, book reviews, things like that, it's a short one. Um, just go to my website and sign up for it. Um, and also you can get information on, I think on there, there's something on resilience and there's also something on health and well-being, which is a free uh, download of some top tips to help yourself. Fill your boots. Anyway, Graham, thank you once again. And I look forward to next month, brand, reputation, image and impact. Lovely listening to you all and sharing thoughts. Bye for now. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.